Well, good morning. Please open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. Probably right now, sitting here, there is uh, a lot of mixed emotions going on, that's my guess. Um, something happened this week. <laughs> and I've been asked probably no less than 15 times, so what are you going to preach this week? You know, some members of ECC right now are, are happy with the election. Others are worried. Others are angry or scared. There's another group that maybe just doesn't think about that much or, or maybe just feels, feels relief. It's over. <laughs> maybe, sort of. Uh, let me encourage you right now that, that this is a great opportunity for us as a church to, to extend grace to one another, to recognize that, that, that not all may be feeling the same thing that you're feeling this week. This is a time to remember that, that we are in covenant with one another. We are covenant with one another as members of one body, and our, our unity is found not in who we voted for, but in who we are saved by. That's a critical, critical truth for us to hold on to and during times of, of political turmoil particularly. And, and more than ever, we need a, a divine word outside of ourselves. We need a living word right now. And so we turn today in our final sermon in the kind of topical series that we've been covering, we turn to Daniel chapter 7 for that very word. So would you please stand with me out of respect for the authority of Jesus Christ as mediated through his word as I read from Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. Behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. 
His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away. But their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Let's pray. Father, we implore you now, grant that your spirit of wisdom would come upon us. Give us a more certain word than the word that media and culture offers us. Open our eyes and our ears to your spirit. Teach us, instruct us, that we may be more faithful followers of Jesus in these days. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. Amen. May be seated. So, if you're looking for a good old-fashioned, scary campfire story, all you have to do is turn here to Daniel 7. You know, Daniel is is looking out at the sea, and suddenly the sea starts bubbling up, and and you see, boys, hairy animal legs kind of sticking out and breaking arms coming through the top of the sea. There should be maybe a, a caption in Daniel 7 that kind of says like, Viewer discretion advised. As the sea belches up four beasts, monsters, really. When you read Daniel 7, these opening, this opening passage, verse, up to verse 8 particularly, you're supposed to feel disturbed. If you're not disturbed, let your nine-year-old son draw a picture of Daniel 7. And as the, as the nightmare continues, Daniel watches as these beasts devour flesh. And the last beast is worst of all. Look at verse 7. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that was before it. And it had ten horns. The, the, do, do you smell it? The, the smell of evil permeates Daniel's nightmare. Just kind of 
smell it. It's foul in Daniel 7. When we read texts like this, we're, we're often distracted by, by kind of end times kinds of questions, aren't we? Uh, and as important as those kinds of questions are, a much bigger point is being made here in Daniel that, that I'm going after today and that Daniel wants us to first go after. And it's this. The political dynasties of this world tend to become beasts. Daniel shows us this in verse 17, later in the second half of the chapter that we didn't read. When he interprets this, these four great peace are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. This theme then runs throughout the book of Daniel, that, that government tends to become beastly as opposed to human. And no matter what election cycle, no matter who is in office, no matter what party controls, they will always be tempted to become beastly. Not just the other side, but our side. It wasn't supposed to be this way. If you think back to Genesis 1, God created the world, right, so that, so that he would be king over his cosmic sanctuary. Then he created humans to do what? To image his kingship. And so God gave them dominion over the earth. But we find here in Daniel 7 that those who are ruling no longer image the true king. They image, they image beasts. And there's a, there's a subtle warning here for the people of God. We can't pretend that, that if our side gets power, that they won't succumb to the deadly instincts of a beast. This is an instinct that goes all the way back to the first beast. In Genesis 3, verse 1, do you know it? Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. The venom, the venom of the serpent runs through the lineage of the beasts. So with, with all the, the mixed emotions that ha- have come this week for you, Daniel 7 is calling each of us to not entrust our political hopes to those who become beastly. An election week like this really tends to to expose in my heart what I'm really trusting in, what I'm really counting on. Uh, as, As evangelical Christians, we, we too... We have been caught up in the political culture wars, brothers and sisters. We have been tempted by the, by the narrative that, that if we just get so-and-so elected, then things will be okay. I know, as, I, as I've talked with many of you this past week, I know that, that many of you are fearful and, and perhaps even angry or frustrated or discouraged about politics. You're tired, you're, you're weary of all the, the political turmoil. Many of your own families have been divided over the past months, haven't they? 
For this week of all weeks, brothers, sisters, we need to be on guard. Satan is at our door. And it's not because of who's being elected. Watch out for the venom of the serpent beast who will tempt you to believe that the most important thing in your life right now is who is in office. And when this becomes central to our lives, we too start to become beastly. And so the beginning of Daniel 7 raises some some important questions for us to ponder. Questions like, do you need to repent of of how you posted on, on social media or spoke to a family member in a beastly sort of way? Over the past months, search your heart and ask that. Let the Holy Spirit search you. Or in your heart, quietly, maybe even vocally, have you doubted the the maturity of your brothers and sisters' Christian faith because they came to different political conclusions? I can't believe a real Christian would vote that way. Have you talked dismissively and derogatorily about certain candidates? Have you joined forces with the beasts of politics by by demonizing your political opponents? See, this is what the, the venom of the serpent beast does to us. Satan wants to make you and me into his image this week. He wants to keep us fixated on the election results. Like beasts, he tempts us to classify people not as people, but as political foes or friends. Like beasts, he tempts us to be more concerned about people having political conversions than conversions to Jesus Christ. To be clear, just so that I'm really clear here, this is... I'm not saying that we don't get involved. We need godly men and women involved in American politics. We need to pray that God would raise up men and women of courage and integrity. But as Christians, our hopes and our dreams cannot be tied to whether our political party wins or loses. And when it is tied to that, we tend to get pulled down the path of Daniel's beasts. And it it ends with us either clamoring for for power to protect ourselves or or it ends with us devastated and consumed by, by fear when we lose power. You know, if if the Holy Spirit is telling you right now that this is the path you're on, heed his warning. Heed his warning and and repent and turn in faith to Jesus once again. So Daniel 7 shows us that, that we don't have to embrace the power of beasts. We don't have to be despaired when, when rulers image the serpent rather than God. Look now at verses 9 through 12. As I looked, thrones were placed 
And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. You know, Daniel opens with these Horrible beasts that maybe many of us can kind of uh, relate to right now. But then verse 9 changes to the throne room of Yahweh, the king himself, the God of Israel, the ancient of days. This God in Daniel 7 is in no way threatened by his political enemies. This God is not worried about the results of any election on the globe. He doesn't lose sleep over the beasts outside of his door. Verse 9 says, he took his seat. Holy fire surrounds him. And then the last phrase, its wheels were burning fire. This this last phrase recalls directly the language of the glory of God on display in Ezekiel chapter 1. Go look at that text sometime and you see this just incredible vision of the glory of God displayed through these these burning wheels that are moving around in the sky. This is the throne room that we're looking at here in Daniel 7. It's unlike any glory on earth. With the beasts kind of pressing in on the outside. Imagine the, the grandeur of the picture in verse 10. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Quick, 10,000 times 10,000. Jim? 100 million. 100 million servants. Around the king. This is not a kingdom threatened. This is not a kingdom that is worried. This is is one who is far above all the the political turmoil in America and all the political turmoil in in the entire world. And what happens? Verse verse 11 says, ever so briefly, look at verse 11. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. You know, there's, there's not even a battle scene. Uh, you know, I, I kind of feel almost cheated here. You want like some kind of Marvel movie 45-minute like scene where the beasts are just like slugging it out and the Ancient of Days is trying to like get after them. It's just the beast was killed. The beast, the mightiest of the, of the four beasts is literally scraped off the sidewalk and tossed into the dustbin of history. God wins all the time. He won on Tuesday night. If your heart is in, uh, I'll call, election turmoil. 
to the throne room of God Almighty. We need the Holy Spirit to to reorient our hearts, to, to see with new eyes everything through the lens of the throne room of Daniel 7. We, we often believe in the providence and, and sovereignty of God when we get what we want. But even when we don't get what we want, God is still working his mysterious wisdom around the world. He showed up last week, and he's still showing up today. God is still working his, his mysterious wisdom. He is king, and the beasts, despite what they think, they're not. You know, how many times this week How many times this week have I or or we, have we clicked on the election results versus opening our Bibles and entering the presence of the Ancient of Days on his throne? Or how many conversations have we had with with brothers and sisters this week that, that directed our hearts to ponder the election? instead of pondering the supremacy and the joy of God, the King. This is not trite theological truisms that the Bible is spewing out. We need to keep calling our attention to things above, don't we? And not earthly things. After months of, of wrangling and anger and political stress and family division that has infected even God's people. It's time to to step back and to meditate on and and believe the words of texts like Habakkuk 2.20, which says the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence. We can't be like the nations of Psalm 2 that rage and scream and cry for political power. So Daniel 7 employs us to to not entrust our political hopes to beasts. And then Daniel 7 calls us to take comfort that, that God's politics always win. And then Daniel 7 now finishes by showing us something very profound. Look at verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Dominion here is is taken away from the beasts and is given to one like a son of man. The the language son of man here is, is simply a way to say truly human. It was a common way of of referring to a human being in the Old Testament. If you want proof of that, you can look at Isaiah 56, verse 2 sometime, and you'll see this parallelism of of how Son of Man is parallel with humanity. The point here is that, that God raises up one who is truly human and contrasts 
to the beasts. So in Daniel 7, the Son of Man is the only non-beast depicted as a ruler. And so God raises up one who reflects all that, that human beings were supposed to be back in Genesis 1. And, and through this, this truly human one, God's kingdom will not pass away and not be destroyed based on verses 13 and 14. So, who is this? Who is the Son of Man in Daniel 7? You might be tempted to say, Jesus. That's typically a really good answer. After all, he calls himself the Son of Man in the Gospels, right? But hold on just a minute. Before we get to Jesus... We need to go back and read the text of Daniel 7 very carefully. The next next half of the chapter, verses 15 through 27, which I did not read earlier, these verses provide an interpretation of the first half of Daniel 7 and help give us an understanding of what's going on. The vision here is now explained to Daniel. And note particularly verse 18 and verse 27 where it says, verse 18, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. And then verse 27, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to who? To the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve And obey him. In verse 13 and 14, we saw that dominion was given to one like a son of man. But now, verses 18 and 27 clarify that dominion is given to the saints of the Most High. What's going on here? The language of son of man in verses 13 and 14, means, remember, true humanity in contrast to the beasts. But in the second half of the chapter, we learn who true humanity is. The people of God. The people of God. See, when when Jesus shows up in the Gospels calling himself Son of Man, he is tapping into a story that Israel knew so well. He's he's kind of clothing himself in this story and saying, I am the son of man. I am one who is truly human, more human than you or me. And, And what's more, he then shows that all those who are connected to him participate in becoming more truly human than ever before. He can take away the beastly forms from us and make us human again. So now back to to the the point at hand here in the text. In Daniel 7, God shows that the people of God, remember, cannot entrust their political hopes to beasts. He shows them that his kingdom stands forever. But what is astonishing in Daniel 7, and is often missed, is that God gives his dominion then to the saints of the Most High. In contrast to the beastly rulers, the saints of the Most High are called to to 
image God's rule, good rule, to the nations. And so who are the saints of the Most High today? You're looking at them. The church. The church. From God's point of view, the most important political body on earth is his church. The most important political body on earth is his church. Not America. Not Germany. Not Britain. Not India. But the church. The people of God. Real kingdom authority lies right here within the church. We are the ones who have the keys through Christ to bind and loose on heaven and earth. Not the Republicans, not the Democrats, not the Libertarians, not the 400 other little tiny political parties. And this this should have a, a fundamental reordering of our political lives. God's church has a powerful and yet dangerous vocation to fulfill. We are called to put our political hopes not in the systems of government around us, though we serve and we obey and we get involved, but our hopes, they belong to the only political realm that God has promised will be triumphant, his church, the bride. And so we live out We live out our political lives first in the church, showing the rest of the world what good rule and imaging looks like. So you want justice? You want pro-life and family values promoted? Daniel 7 says that this begins then right here in our church. It begins right here by by imaging God to one another instead of imaging the beast. The way we treat each other inside here is far more politically important to the universe than how we voted out there. We preserve the image of God in the world through the church not the government. As much as I'm all for promoting the image of God in the government, (laughs) but it's the church that preserves the image of God to the world. So if if you want to make a political difference, begin today by honoring one another at ECC. Begin today by, by loving your spouse and not acting beastly toward her. Begin by serving those at ECC who you disagree with politically. Begin by repenting of the dismissive attitudes and words that we we project toward those who think differently from us. Begin by finding every way possible for ECC to, to bless the community around us and to do good. I'm, I'm struck by, I'm struck earlier this week by Peter's words. 
to the church in 1 Peter 2.17. Just four clipped little sentences. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. That's the church's vocation. To, to embody Jesus to the nations. And the election has not changed any of that for us. And no election in the future will change that for us. You know, it's clear that, that our nation is, is divided and needs healing. But a politician in D.C. won't bring that. That's the church's job. We, as, as representatives of God's people, the church, must sound different from the rest of the nation around us. And, and when we don't, we have become the beastly ones. So, put that political angst and fervor that you feel to work in the church first. Make ECC a more just church. Make ECC a church that more faithfully images God's good rule to Americans. Make ECC a place where the saints do not pursue political power that all the nations rage for. Rather, our power comes from a crucified leader. Our power comes from a gospel that says, when you are weak, you are strong. And so in the midst of the anger and turmoil, it should be we this week, the saints of the Most High, who model civility and love and patience. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, Together, we walk in love with our neighbors and image Jesus instead of the beast. I, I love America. I know many of you deeply love America. I am so thankful that God has allowed me to be born here and to be raised here and to raise my children here. But God wants us to love Christ and his church more. That's how we model the the truly human one, the very image of God himself. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, who is sufficient for such things? We surely are not. I'm not. Change our hearts, oh God, that we would cast all of our political hopes on Jesus and his perfect bride, the church, cleansed by you, redeemed by you, delivered from the domain of darkness by you. Help us, O God, to be that kind of people who image you well. 
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen.